0: There are few things on Earth that generate more conversation than wine. For many, the thirst for wine knowledge becomes an obsession, and it's hard to imagine that anyone has fully ingested all there is to know about the world's most revered beverage. We all know people who are passionate about sharing that knowledge and their opinions about wine. But we find an awful lot of the conversations about wine pretty hard to swallow. Welcome to Grape Encounters. Your host David Wilson, his guests, and the rest of us on the team are here to show you a great time. How to have more fun with your wine. Where to enjoy wine the most. How to immerse yourself into a wine lifestyle that isn't simply about wine. So let's dive into this week's edition of Grape Encounters. Oh, you'll learn plenty, but hopefully, it will be knowledge that you can really use. Not like that Latin class you took in high school. Here's your wine captain. David Wilson.
1: And it's time for your weekly grape encounter. And, you know, have you ever thought that you knew somebody and learned later that you knew very little about them? There's a fellow that we've had on a couple of times who I respect so deeply. The depth of his career at least as far as wine is concerned, is unbelievable. And recently, just accidentally, I realized that there was a lot more to Spencer Brewer than meets the eye. And I've got Spencer on right now. The last time we talked to him, we were talking about wines that rock, but in particular... A new release that they have, which are the Picard wines, Star Trek themed wines. And Spencer, welcome back.
2: Hey, thank you, David. Appreciate it. Listen,
1: every time I talk to you, I enjoy you. And I think the first time we talked, you were over at the Mendocino Wine Company.
2: Probably, yeah. That'd be a number of years ago, yeah.
1: And that's a really interesting company. I don't know what they're doing these days, but they make a lot of wine for a lot of people, big operation, and really interesting place to go visit. And in fact, when I went there the first time, it was because I was doing a story on Wines That Rock. And I had the privilege of sitting down with the winemaker there and blending a wine to go with the Hotel California album. And that was an interesting experiment and very, very, very fun. But since then, you've been involved very deeply in Wines That Rock. You've got something really super interesting that you've put out. The wines that are companions to the new Picard show that's coming out. And let's just sort of revisit that for a second, uh, in case people didn't hear that last show that we did some months ago. So
2: what we did was we partnered with CBS to create a consummate collection of Star Trek wines. And where we started from over a year and a half ago was looking into creating some of the older iconic bottles like the kardashian Canar and the Klingon blood wine that had been featured on the shows in the past right, yeah. that had become highly collectible. And one of the meetings that we had was with the uh, folks at CBS, They said, well, you know what you really ought to try to do is see if you can secure the Picard wine. And we said, well, what do you mean Picard wine? says, well, there is actually a Chateau Picard that had been there for several generations before the character of Jean-Luc Picard was even written in 30 years ago. And we have tried, the CBS for 30 years to be able to get the license and to work with these folks to make this wine. And we haven't been able to do it. You want to give it a shot. That is one of the things that Wines It Rock, we kind of uh, specialize in, is really honoring a brand and licensing. And it, it's a lot of our history. Right. And so we started working with the winery there in Bordeaux, which was a Cru Bordeaux brand that had been there, like I said, for generations. It had been bought a few years ago by another company, Malarbasse, but it was still Chateau Picard. Is they (laughs) call So after many months of negotiations back and forth, everything lined up between both the TTB units on either side of the big pond, the licensing agency, CBS, Chateau Picard, and what we wanted to do. And so we were able to create literally the exact bottle that is being featured on Star Trek, uh, this new series, Star Trek Picard. The bottle you see in the Trader The bottle you'll see in the show, that is the bottle that we actually have made at the actual Chateau Picard and then imported over here on the other side of the ocean. so, So
1: just so that listeners completely understand, it was just happenstance that there was this Chateau Picard and the series that's coming up has Captain Picard in a winemaking situation.
2: When they wrote in his character... Yeah. Uh, 30 years ago there was no internet. They couldn't do a Google search on a right. Chateau Picard. So they actually gave him his history which he he grew up on a vineyard that had been in the family for generations. His brother stayed back and, you know, worked it. And when he got out of the galaxy, you know, and, and needed to retire, or go back to the home ranch, he always went back to Chateau Picard in Bordeaux, France.
1: And darned if there and, wasn't there darned if there wasn't one there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's just like, whoa, wow. When they, when they found that out, well, can we work with you? And, you know, they didn't want to have a, have a starship on the front of their crew Bordeaux bottle uh, coming out of France. Is, so when we so showed crazy. them this yeah. iconic label that really honored the brand, honored the label, honored them, honored the wine and their history, then they said, OK, 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 yeah, let, let, this can work.
1: Well, there's something very metaphysical going on there, I have to say. It's reality meets fantasy in as tight a way as it possibly can. It's really an extraordinary story. But now, how are the wines selling?
2: Well, there were two wines we came out with. It was that, and then we wanted a companion. So we created the Federation of Planets, Old Vine Zinfandel. So if you had these galactic meetings of different planets, or, you know, uh, different entities, then they would want the quintessential wine to serve at the banquet, at the signings, at the dinners. And so we got an Old Vine Zinfandel out of three different vineyards in Sonoma County, Dry Creek and Russian River and put it in this really outrageous bottle that it took months to find this bottle and get it
1: in there. But oh, the, the bottle is beautiful. And we do have on the website, uh, grapeencounters.com, a picture of both of the bottles. If you want to look at them, they're the cover art for this episode. So you just want to check it out there, but it's something else.
2: So when you ask, how did sales go? We showed up for the first time, there was a lot of buzz in the industry that this was possibly coming out. And we showed up at the annual Star Trek convention in July in Vegas, where 8,000 Trekkies come. They're not Trekkies, but Star Trek fans come every year and there for six days, most of them in a costume of some kind. We sold out the initial run in eight hours. Oh, and so then damn. we put out another run and, uh, that was one going to get here for another two months. We sold that out in 23 hours. And now we're on the third run that's hitting port actually Friday.
1: So I wonder how many Star Trek fans there are out there. I don't know if they've ever done any study of that, but I'd be curious if Captain Picard were to run for president or something like that, does he have a big enough base to win?
2: I don't know, man. It's just, that's a whole other universe and I... I... <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know what I don't know anything about it.
1: All right, hey, we're talking to Spencer Brewer, A- oh oh, of Wines That yes, Rock. Yes, of, of Wines That Rock. Uh huh. And you can go to winesthatrock.com dot com and see all of the other really super interesting labels that commemorate some of the greatest works in music and other things. It's winesthatrock.com, dot com, correct? Yes. Okay, and yeah, check that out. Yeah,
2: we've this uh, this year we've done. Um, this year, we released the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, the EZA Safe Wines, for every zoo and aquarium in the country. We did one for All Time Low, this uh, quite, quite a very young band, and they're really excited about it. Last year, we launched Sort du Soleil wow. with wines, and we also launched the Virgin Wine Club. We have five more in the queue right now that are just going to come out in the next two or three
1: months. Yeah, and then coming soon, the Grape Encounters wine, which will uh, be coming out very soon. I just have to talk to you about that. That's it. great. That's, that's all. Hey, so, yeah, that's so, fine. <laughs> so, so we're going we're gonna to take a little bit of a break here. But when we come back, I want to talk m- more broadly about wine labels and you know the whole idea that, f- first of all, there's a huge part of the population that buys based on the label. And I want to get into a discussion about whether we're really missing the mark where labeling is concerned. Are we abusing it? Are, is the trend that we're seeing um, going in the right direction and so on? And then after that, I want to talk about what I teased, which is all about you, Spencer, because the things I discovered about you recently – just absolutely blew my mind i mean you are the ult- oh, my god. you're the ultimate renaissance man uh, you're my hero as a matter of fact because oh god David. You, no come on <laughs> you're the embodiment of what i i think a true wine person is because it's not just about the wine but it's all the other things that surround it and man you nail it head on and i'm gonna they expose you to the world not that they don't oh, already no. probably know about it <laughs> right uh, no comment. You're I'm blushing. I'm, we're talking via a, a conference system, and I can see you, and you're blushing. <laughs> Not you. All right. Hey, we're going to be back with more Grape Encounters in just a second. My very special guest, Spencer Brewer, COO of Wines That Rock, but there's a lot more to talk about in terms of wine and some of those peripheral things that Spencer has taken to the outer limits of the universe. And I mean that sincerely. And we'll talk about that when we return with Grape Encounters Radio.
0: We like to talk about wine. Welcome back to Grape Encounters Radio, broadcasting from our Central Coast wine country studio in idyllic Atascadero, California. Grape Encounters is brought to you by Total Wine & More, America's largest independent retailer of fine wine. They carry more than 8,000 different wines from every wine-producing region in the world and offer an equally monumental selection of beer and spirits. Here's David. And we're back with Grape Encounters Radio,
1: and I'm really privileged to have met some years ago a person who is not just the epitome of what I think a great wine person should be, and he's not necessarily the winemaker, he's been involved in so many aspects of the wine business, and at one point even a wine ringmaster, as I recall, it's Spencer Brewer, and he's the the COO of Wines That Rock, but turns out he's also a profoundly amazing artist and musician. We're going to get into that soon because I'm going to send you to his website, a couple of websites, and you can see for yourself the depth of the person that I'm talking to today. And, you know, it's like it gave me chills recently when I accidentally stumbled onto this and I thought, that can't be the same Spencer Brewer. You know, this guy was all about wine and it turns out, boy, that was just like the tip of the eye iceberg. And Spencer, are you blushing again?
2: No, I'm not. My wife would have a fit hearing all this. <laughs> you're, you're, a, you're. A hum-
1: does, she, does she keep? Does she keep you humble? Is that the deal?
2: Oh, I don't have a choice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Hey, listen. So here's the deal. One of the things that impressed me some years ago about wines that rock is that when they were putting out wines to commemorate the Grateful Dead, the Police, Synchronicity. I think was the album that they commemorated. Pink Floyd and others. I was actually surprised that when I tasted the wines, I could definitely see a connection between what was in my mouth and what comes into my ears from those iconic albums. I know after meeting the winemaker that he took very seriously the challenge of making wines that really did reflect the complexion of those items. But I have ranted on this show more than a few times about wines that have labels that lead me to believe that what's in the bottle, is going to be one thing, but in reality, it is just wine and oftentimes just bulk wine. And it irritates me. Tell me your feelings about labels, because you've been in the business a long time in one form or another. Are we abusing it?
2: Well, it depends on the company, obviously, that you're talking to. There's a number of companies, you know, and no fingers being pointed, you know, that buy bulk and just slap a label on it and move it through the system. Just like anything, there's going to be high, medium and low. Providers and in the industry, and then you will have some other ones that take a lot of time and try to match what the brand culture, what the brand identity is all about. Like what we did once when we when we released the Fifty Shades of Grey Wines, Many people might poo poo, you know, the whole notion of you know, it is high literature books or anything. We wanted to make it all about the writer, and because it was you know where she came from, the books she wrote. So we were able to bring her in literally to the vineyards, and she did the blending herself. Oh, really? With the winemaker. Oh, yeah. We have it all on video. And she got to go in the vineyards and check out the grapes on the vines and came in and did a a multi-level tasting and blending till the the wines matched exactly what she had envisioned when she was writing the book.
1: Very interesting.
2: And that would be an example of what we try to do when we got to the Star Trek wine. It wasn't about, let's just slap a label on a bottle, which a few other previous incarnations. Had done, we wanted to bring it from the winery that it came from originally, or you know, it is was original before he came on the shelf. And we did a 50-60 person tasting panel on what this elegant old vine zen in Sonoma was going to taste like. Because as much as a consumer, a fan, somebody who really identifies with what the label is on that bottle or the message is coming off of it, if they open the bottle and it does not come close to what they think it should be, you know, then you've blown it. You didn't do your work. And obviously our business model would fall apart. So we try to take a lot of extra steps in doing this particular exercise. When we released the Downton Abbey line, we actually went back and bought clarets from the province where the castle is. No kidding. That he would have poured there in the castle and then imported them. That and- is what he's pouring. That's what they're tasting on the show.
1: No, I really appreciate it. It's so refreshing to hear that. But I don't know about you, but I'm I'm not a big fan of critter labels. You know, we put a dog on the label because we're hoping to catch dog lovers or whatever it might be. I'm just very sensitive to marketing people being responsible when they come up with themes that are on the labels. There was a time when we didn't put a bunch of pictures and stuff and silliness on the label, and there's a place for it for sure. But before I got into this job, I owned a marketing firm for a long time. When I would do an ad campaign, I was very sensitive to completely immersing myself the product so that I didn't misrepresent it. And I've seen real instances where that's been abused and that people really haven't taken the time to get to know the product the way that they should. I'm just saying. But there are a lot of them out there that do. It's just that I talk to people every single day who tell me, you know, I buy my wine by the label. And because labels are going off in a, a thousand different directions, that can be dangerous. And it always pays to take a moment and really speak to either somebody that really knows the wine. your wine expert, like, you know, Total Wine & More, a great example. They've got a lot of great people on the floor. And those people will be able to tell you what that wine really tastes like and take you beyond the label. And I think that's super important. The other thing is, is you've got your phone there. Google it before you buy it. See what the reviews are on it. And then you'll know for sure. Right. Um, I agree. I'm ranting, Spencer. I just, you know, gosh, I get so absolutely indignant. The other thing is, is, there's the backside of the label where a lot of winemakers or marketing people describe what's in the bottle for us. And a lot of people tell me that they rely on those descriptions, but a lot of times it's just lost on people. They, they don't understand tobacco and cassis and saddle leather and barnyard and all of these other, <laughs> I, you know, all of these other ways that we describe wine. And I've literally stood in a wine store and overheard people saying, oh, it's got undertones of dark cherry or something like that. And they're discussing how much of the cherry juice they pour into the wine. You know, most people don't really understand that part, and they don't need to, by the way. It's not always necessary.
2: This is to your point a little bit. We partnered with another brand on several projects, and we're coming out. We just are releasing it, called 96 Points. That literally is the label. And this is the back label, which we're poking fun, as you can tell by what I'm getting ready to say by the rating system. So it's rated by the prestigious Chumley Hill. Here's what the back (laughs) label says. There are many unsung Heroes in the respected world of wine, harvest workers, tank washers, cork soakers, and many more who go unrecognized. But none are more undervalued than the humble wine critic. Without them, we wouldn't know what to drink. Without their point system, we wouldn't know how good wine is from bad. Our world would be chaos. However, rest assured, this bottle has been scored 96 points by the prestigious Chumley Hill, a critic's critic. Indeed, pour yourself a glass and just taste the recognition. <laughs>
1: Oh my! God. I got. I you got to send me a bottle of that. You got to send me a bottle of that. I, I that and, it's,
2: is, and it's really de- it's really delicious. It's, it's, it's quite delicious, but we're just totally statted right into this
1: thing oh because it's fun. God. Hey Spencer Brewer, we got to take a little break. We're talking to Spencer Brewer, and when we come back, we're going to go deep into his background because there's some really amazing things that he's been doing for his entire life. And when you see his work, you're just going to be blown away. And so we'll be back with more grape and. Encounters in just a second. Just a reminder, Grape Encounters is brought to you by Total Wine and More. That is a place literally where you can go in and they will never steer you wrong. They'll point you in the direction of what it is that you want. You're going to get the knowledge that you need at Total Wine and More. For more information about Total Wine and More, you just go to TotalWine.com. Back with more Grape Encounters right after this. Today's edition of Grape Encounters is brought to you by Total Wine & More. You know, every week we encourage you to look beyond the ordinary and seek the extraordinary. That's why you definitely want to check out Winery Direct at Total Wine & More. These are products that are identified by the yellow shelf tag in their stores and online. You can learn more at TotalWine.com. Oh my gosh! I can talk to Spencer Brewer for the rest of my life. The amount of things that he's done in his short thirty years on the planet is simply amazing. Thirty! <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> bless you. Well, no, I'm looking at I'm looking at some photos of you on your website, and you definitely look thirty there. So maybe those are old photos, possibly. <laughs> uh... <laughs> I don't know. Well no, I'm I'm staring you in the face and you're still very handsome. But I, I love that picture of you in a t shirt that says Sundays in the park with your thumb up. That's my favorite. Yeah. In fact, let's talk about that for a second, because you're up in, in Mendocino County, and I really failed to mention that, but you're all over. I, where is Wines That Rock based now? It's wanna, in
2: New York City. They've yeah, always been in New York City.
1: Yeah, New York City. So you're actually a, an international character, I was going to say phenomenon. But in Mendocino, it's a very high culture area. And I don't mean that in a snobby way. There's just so many things going on from the standpoint of wine and music and art. Tell me some of the things that you do wine-wise up there in your own community? I I know you're associated with a lot of really interesting things.
2: Well, I'm not as associated up here with wine as I am with a lot of other things. 28 years ago, I started the Sundays in the Park Concert Series, which is six concerts that run every summer. And I started that and ran that for 25 years, then passed it on to the next generation. It was their turn. At the same time, I started the professional pianist concert, which was a very unusual or unique, is a better word, how it's done, where there are the better pianists in the area. There's six to eight of us on stage, and we're in a living room, a full living room. You know, Several oh, no couches, kidding. lamps, tables, wow. rugs, and two concert grand pianos. And we all have on body mics, and we are there the whole time. Uh, there is no fourth wall. Uh, the audience gets to see us talk with each other. If we like what each other's going to play, we don't know what either's going to any uh, any one of us is going to play or who's going to go next. And we started out; the first show was 100 people, and now, it's, now it sells out 400 seats three nights in a row. Oh wow! That's
1: and so interesting. We've,
2: we've had we've, we've had a lot of people fly in that brought their relatives in, saw it, and it has created the same paradigm. Um, in other cities around the country, because it's all about just enjoying, listening to each other play, and you only get seven or eight minutes per set, so you can have uh, Cuban classical, then outrageous jazz, then boogie woogie, then blues, and you know regular classical, and it's just it's, and we just laugh and make fun of each other and tell stories. So, so. so that I started that a long time ago, and it's still it's in it's 28th year this year. Over the years, I mean, I can just rattle them off. There's a bunch of different things, but they're still running. The Kai Educational Foundation, which gives money, scholarships, back to kids in the school district. We started the um, Redwood Valley Outdoor Education Project, which took 58 acres of a dump that they had done 25 years ago. And we turned it into an educational park of trails for 56 acres wow, for all nice. the students in the school district. And I can keep going, but you know those so,
1: are. So so let's talk about how events that are art and or music related seem to always have wine as a component. And I just believe very strongly that it's it's not just that when we go to an art show, music festival, whatever it is, that we just want to loosen up by having a glass of wine. It's more than that because whatever it is that. As I understand it from reading studies from experts, whatever it is in our brain that stimulates our excitement when we look at a piece of artwork or we hear a piece of music, it's the same part of the brain that gets stimulated when we enjoy a glass of wine. But doesn't it seem like wine is an essential component to anything art or music related?
2: It feels that way. I was thinking about it the other day is that, you know, I'm a sculptor and People want to go and check out the uh, the sculptures. I, what I'm doing is what I'm finding is kind of it's fun for me because I was in the piano rebuilding business for 45 years and worked on over 20,000 pianos.
1: Oh, Lord. And
2: so I take that take that knowledge and that stuff in my hands and turn it in these wild sculptures. And people can see that at Harmony Gates, G-A-I-T-S dot com like the gates of a horse. HarmonyGaze.com. So anyway, working with the sculptures, it's a creative vehicle. Once again, creativity that's coming out of your hand. In music, it's a creative vehicle that once again is usually generated by one's hands. But if you look at art, you're visually having an experience that is integral to you if it affects you deeply. Music, it's orally. It affects you deeply. To do them both in the same moment is even more of an impact now let's get it to where the oral capacity comes into it the taste which smell and taste are longer identifiers that really sink deep into our souls and our beings and into our memories so if now you're looking at art and or listening to music and you're tasting something that once again was created By an artist, a winemaker, the grower of the grapes in the vineyard, and what they're going for in their art. You put all three of those, you're hitting three components of our our internal organisms. I'm not saying this very eloquently.
1: No, you are, actually. they,
2: They all combine into this mix to where you're having a gestalt input of feelings, tastes, sounds, visuals that turn into this just wonderful memory that we walk away with.
1: I have never heard it put in those terms. And that, honestly, you said it wasn't eloquent. It it was amazing because it really actually, that opens my eyes a lot. And I I really never thought about it that way. But I, I was thinking as you were saying that, uh, how many? I was thinking back to how many times I've been at an art gallery where there's an exhibit going on, and as you walk through the door, they pour you a glass of wine, and generally speaking, it's not very good wine. But yet, as you're walking around and you're you know you're letting all of this art sink into your brain, the quality of the wine becomes less important. You seem to just enjoy it more. And I've, I was speaking to you offline recently uh, about a study that, uh, in fact, there have been several of them now, where when you drink wine, certain kinds of wine, and listen to certain kinds of music, your appreciation of the wine, your perception of it, increases radically. And, and you know, as I think about art events that I go to, music events that I go to, you go to a concert, you're going to be poured most of the time, something that's not really all that exciting, yet it tastes better in that context. And I yes. and, and that's why I think that people need to incorporate music and art into their wine drinking experience, if at all possible. Don't sit in the kitchen with the fluorescent lights and the kids screaming, you know, get yourself into a place where the environment really, really complements the wine experience because even a great bottle of wine can taste terrible if you're in a bad mood, sitting in a bad location with, you know, unpleasant things going on.
2: Well, think of a fine restaurant and one that has really, really put a lot of effort into the setup, the mood that it creates, the culture, exactly. the art that's on the walls. You walk in, you're surrounded by this visual beauty that immediately puts you in a mood now you've got your wine before the meal which you're going to smell first and then you're going to taste it and just everything lifts and they're usually going to have some really gentle but very beautiful music with the culture of that environment going on in the background now the food shows up you're visually stimulated Your nose now is smelling stuff that is just completely overwhelming you if it's done right. So now you're seeing the art, you're hearing the music, you've tasted the wine and smelled it, and now the smelling aspect of the food itself, actually, as art visually presented on the plate, all comes into bear. That's, I feel, is why... A fine dining experience is almost as good or on equal terms as going to a fabulous art show.
1: Oh, gosh. Well put. Well put. He is an artist, a sculptor, a musician. He has produced over 300 records, 17 of them for himself. He has been a master of many things in the wine industry. at Spencer Brewer, and we're going to be back with just uh, a few more minutes, and I want to talk about Uh, A number of things, including Tesla Man. We've got to talk about Tesla Man before we go. Right? Okay. All right. Back with more Grape Encounters right after this. Hang with me. Grape Encounters is brought to you by Total Wine & More. You can find out everything they got going on at TotalWine.com. By the way, just go to TotalWine.com. Do some exploring there because there's so much content on that website. You'll get lost on it, for sure, in a good sort of way. And we'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. We like to talk about... Wine. talking to a man who is the total wine experience. I say that in a a different context. It's Spencer Brewer. If you go to spencerbrewer.com you can learn a lot about my guest and see so much of his art. And, And you'll see him in so many different settings. Vineyard settings on stage, behind the piano working in the studio and standing next to a seemingly headless man named Tesla Man. Spencer, talk to me about Tesla Man. This is your, what do you say, piece de resistance?
2: Tesla man, yeah, I, I doubt I'll ever do anything as outrageous as him again. Yeah, I've been to Burning Man many times, and each time I've been amazed and just blown away at all of the enormous creativity and self-expression out there. And there was this one particular one early on when I first went 20 years ago that, you know, Captain Megavolt was <laughs> out there with these just huge Tesla coils. And I was familiar with Tesla coils previously, but I came back home and it was in the sculpture studio in my here. And I just bought this $5, you know, male mannequin that didn't have an arm, you know, just uh, Kmart was going out of business or something. And so I decided, well, what am I going to do with this thing? And I sat there for two or three years. till so finally I came back from this particular Burning Man and I realized, wow, what about if we could create an honor, an homage to Nikola Tesla completely right. and put in real life, his head would be a Tesla coil. All of the parts on it would be from his era or literally from his country of origin wow. And it had, and it had multiple, things on it that interacted with his invention. So it took two years. We have hundreds of hours into him. Even his right arm is a prosthetic arm from World War I, traumatic oh, no Bosnia, where he's from. You have the plasma globe, uh, which that particular arm is holding. The other hand, which is the mannequin hand, is holding a 1917 violet wand, which I can get into, but it would take too long. And then he has LEDs all through his chest. We couldn't find a podium anywhere to mount all the electronics the controls are working so we made it all out of pipe organ pipe from the 1890s the top of the cabinet is from a piano a German piano in the 1880s all the knife switches are from the 1910 1920s I mean I can just go on and on and on oh my gosh so he's only been out of here six or seven times each time in a museum or a show every time he's been out a lot of people have gathered around him uh, He's got a lot of attention one every show he was in it one best of show It uh, wasn't there for that I was into having people come and then I would talk all about Tesla himself. This was the way to open up who this extraordinary human was, how he was so misunderstood by so many people that he's not in the he's not in the history books. Is that think right? about, Honestly. I ask people, what do you know about Tesla? I mean, hundreds of people over the, over his life, last few years, what do you know about Tesla? It's all about the car. Every once in a while, somebody will say, well, didn't he invite the light bulb? And really rarely will they say, well, didn't he invent you know like like something around electricity? And I said, well, he invented alternating current, AC electricity. No one thinks about. That. The radar, the x ray, the radio, the vacuum tube. I just go on and on and on and on and on. So, Tesla Man is really an opening of an educational tool to talk about this amazing human that died penniless in his apartment in New York City in 1947. Isn't that um, the inventor of AC current? Give me a break of the radio.
1: That is an electrifying story. And it's interesting what you say about him not really being a big part of history, not being recorded anyway. That's
2: The new movie that just came out, I mean, just last week, The Circuit Wars, Uh, most of this is about Westinghouse and Edison. And then they do talk about Tesla, but he doesn't play a huge role in this. And what the movie, in my opinion, does a huge disservice. It was about Westinghouse and Edison battling The Circuit Wars. Well, guess what? It was Westinghouse that bought the patent from Tesla that made it available for Westinghouse to do
1: that. Oh,
2: goodness. Well, do they really get deep into this, into the story? Once again, Tesla's behind so much of this stuff that he was not a marketing guy. He, that's just not what he was. Edison was all about marketing. Well, you can see I get really passionate about
1: it. All that. right, let's do this. Know people should take a look at this. I, I know you're going to end up selling this for a couple hundred thousand dollars one of these days to somebody, you know, probably a Silicon Valley person, because that's where it deserves to be, somebody that's really into super high tech. But again, you, you can see it at spencerbrewer.com and also your gallery site, which again is
2: Harmony Gates, G-A-I-T-S, HarmonyGates.com. There's a whole site there about Tesla Man and a video of it.
1: We don't have a lot of time left, but you're up in wine country. You're you're surrounded by beauty and lots and lots of grapes. How has wine figured into your art career and music career personally?
2: I enjoy the finer qualities of wine. I love the thought of winemaking. Oh, just the smell without even tasting it just sends me to another place. I love everything sensory. So wine is that for me. And I love to be in the studio creating uh, these sculptures with a fine glass of wine. It It just helps for the
1: moment. What pairs best with Tesla Man?
2: Uh, something very robust and heavy, like a really, a really wonderful Petit Syrah.
1: I was just going to say that. I was, just, <laughs> I was going to say a Petit Syrah or a Petit Verdot, probably. Yes, be, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. That would go well with, with Tesla Man. I, we
1: just got, uh, literally, we have a minute left, but I want to talk about another genre of your work because you have incorporated music into your art. So much of your sculptures involve musical instruments that have been reproduced purposed into amazing, amazing art. How many of these have you done and what sent you in that direction?
2: When I was in the piano business for so many years, people would come and ask me, you know, can you come appraise this? Can you buy it from me? You know, it's our grandmother's piano. Can you move it out of here? All of the above, estates, whatever. And I would always go in and there would also be some amazing old objects from the 1800s and early 1900s. So I started collecting objects, if ever, from 1810 to 1920, 1930. And I just, all of a sudden, one day I thought, well, why don't I just create... I've got a big stash of this stuff that is amazingly well-built, designed, and thought out. Why don't we just start making art out of it? And then all of a sudden, this intersection happened where working on so many pianos in my lifetime, there's a memory in my hands of working with instruments. That's a whole other story. That all of a sudden, I would see these pieces and I can see where they need to go together. So in the steampunk world, people... And this is not putting down anybody, believe me. They wanted to look Jules Vernish. It's about making things look old, making it look steampunkish. Everything I use is old. Nothing has changed in my work from the original intent of the artist, the designer, the manufacturer of who made that in 1850.
1: Oh my gosh, you know, you just, you made a point that I just didn't even think about before. And that is, you know, we see an instrument and we see an instrument and we probably fail much of the time to recognize it as a piece of art that was created by a a person who is sensitive, not just to the sound that came out of it, but also to what it looked like. As part of a symphony or whatever. That's really super, super amazing. When you work in the barn, though, wine is often there. Uh,
2: yes, not in the mornings, <laughs> early uh-huh. afternoons. Yeah. But if I'm doing the afternoons and evenings, yeah. And it's, it's kind of fun. I call the barn, the barn of curiosity, oddities, and
1: light. Oh, beautiful. Hey, listen, we got to call it a day, Spencer. But anybody that wants to continue diving into this subject, the intersection of wine, music, and art, you just got to check out Spencer's sites, spencerbrewer.com and also harmonygate.com. Let's also not forget winesthatrock.com, Spencer it's just a privilege to talk to you and man it's just been so fun digging a little deeper into your mindful of oddities
2: david you've been very generous very very generous with the time and i like the way that your your mind works within the you know the the intersection of all of these uh, various components thank you you've been very gracious
1: well i appreciate it all right that is going to do it for grape encounters today you'll hear us back here next week bye-bye